Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. The beat goes on The beat goes on Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain La-da-da-da-dee La-da-da-da-da Charleston was once the rage
afternoon, everybody. It's uh, Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, and I guess we'll call this the Thanksgiving edition. Uh, pumpkin spi pumpkin pie spice flavored cup of joe. Um, in case you don't know, if you're new to the show, my name is Joe Grumbine, and I'm the host of this uh, sort of a free-form talk show that gives a voice to defendants, uh, to advocates, to prisoners, to victims of the drug war, to people that are trying to make a difference. Um, hopefully it is a voice that is an inspiration, um, an education, and um, hopefully it's worth all of our time to be here. This is a free radio show uh, donated by the Coffee Party and the Coffee Party Radio Network, so I want to give them a shout-out to start with. Um, everybody that's part of the Human Solution and the people that produce the show are volunteering their time. And because of that, there's no outside influence, there's no commercials, there's no nothing to muddy the waters, nothing to take away from uh, the value of, of what the listenership brings. I've listened to a lot of great shows over the years and a lot of different programs, and, you know, the commercials or the fundraisers um, just really make it suck, even if there's good programming. And I realize things cost money, and, and so be it. So um, this is a gift I'm thankful for. I think that hopefully uh, we make it a gift for all the listeners, and hopefully uh, it's something that they have something to be thankful for as well. Thanksgiving is a really rough time for a lot of people, Thanksgiving through the holidays. Um, and I am no exception to this. Uh, two years ago, or no, not two years ago, six years ago, in 2011, on today's date, I was in court for the last time before my trial was supposed to start. And when I had gone in, they had already denied my, my defense. I In California, where I was a qualified patient acting under the rules of our law, I was charged with selling drugs as undercover agents came into my collective and uh, gave me their paperwork. We validated their paperwork. We made them sign the agreement uh, to participate with our collective as the law dictated that we were allowed to. Uh, turned out they had false IDs given to them by the Department of Motor Vehicles, and they had acquired a valid recommendation. We validated their recommendation, we validated the doctor that issued it, and we provided medicine to them as we were allowed to. Well, they charged me with selling drugs. In their opinion, it was all a sham, it was all a dog and pony show, nobody was following the law, and I was given 12 counts of sales of a controlled substance. Um, I wasn't going to go down. I wasn't going to take a deal, and even though they denied my medical defense, I was still taking it to trial. Fortunately, uh, my co-defendant had an attorney that submitted a writ to the appellate court. And if you don't know anything about the appellate court, typically an appeal is filed after a conviction is made. Um, 
somebody gets convicted of a of a series of crimes or a crime, and they feel that their due process was not given. So we have a court that appeals that. Well, in my case, this judge had violated my due process pre-trial numerous times, and we filed a writ, or she filed a writ, I should say, to the appellate court in hopes that they would pick it up, although the odds were very slim. But today, six years ago, I went in court um, for the final time before we were going to select a jury, and the judge uh, looked down, received a message, and said, it looks like the 4th District has uh, decided to hear this case and there's been a stay put on the trial. I was blown away. That's something that doesn't ever happen. It was one of half a dozen things that never happens in a case that did happen in my case. A few hours later, so we went actually after court to visit a friend of mine who was locked up in home confinement. He was staying at a house um, in L.A., and uh, we made a meal to share with the guy. And while we were there sharing this meal, we I got a call from the attorney, and the attorney says the appellate court ruled on the day before Thanksgiving, a day when most people take off early, a day when most people are stuck in traffic, a day when most people are dealing with stuff other than their freedom, and I got news that they were going to grant my defense. We celebrated. We celebrated loud and we celebrated hard. Uh, that Thanksgiving day was was a blessing. I used to have open house Thanksgiving, and we would have, you know, upwards of 50 people come and share a meal with us. Later on, I was still convicted. The judge railroaded me, and later on, I won again in the appellate court. We overturned the verdict. And because of the Human Solution International, 100% because of the Human Solution International and my willingness to stand and fight and not bow to those fuckers, I won. And it taught me and it taught a lot of people that were around me that this can work. We learned a lot of things along the way. And it inspires me every time somebody picks up the torch and decides to fight and we have I was I was almost faced with the opportunity of just a jury nullification if they hadn't given me that defense I would have had no defense to present and I would have had to try to get to the jury that they have a right to vote not guilty if they determined that the law in play was unjust or immoral or that I was you know not given a fair trial they have a right just to say not guilty without any fear of punishment that was almost all I had to fall back on. Um, but it didn't work. And in, in my case, the judge fooled the jury and they convicted me, but we overturned it all. While it was going through that process, people don't necessarily realize I was in a six-year battle, and in, for six solid years I was on bail. And if you're on bail, in many ways it's worse than probation. A lot of people, you know, they get off their case and they... Um, they plead out and they agree to a probation and they have to answer to a probation officer and they have to submit UAs or they have to do whatever it is that the terms of that probation are. And if they violate their probation, they can be taken back and they can be 
put into custody and they can be given additional charges. But a lot of times they're not. If you're on bail, there is no terms. The terms of the bail are you can't get arrested again. doesn't mean you can't break a law. It doesn't mean you can't, you know, you're not supposed to commit a crime. But it doesn't mean just because you didn't commit a crime, you're not going to get arrested. And if you do get arrested, you're in a world of hurt. Well, the courts and the prosecutors and the, the law enforcement have a lot of tools at their fingertips, and they have the ability to work somebody over. Just ask anybody that's got darker skin than mine. And how many times they get pulled over driving well, brown or black or whatever, purple or green, get taken out of the car, get your car searched, get, you know, the treatment. What happens to white folks too sometimes, especially loudmouth, obnoxious ones that don't like the government too much. And uh, I pissed off this prosecutor so bad that she had sent out an all-points bulletin somehow and got helicopters circling my house in a different county than she was at, got me followed in other counties. I don't know how they do it. they got a lot of resources, but when they want to put a finger on somebody, they can and they do. Well, I got pulled over. Um... I was driving a piece of crap car, and Jeff Clark, you're dead now, but fuck you. That was a piece of crap car I bought from you, and you burned me on it, and it got me pulled over. And um, it was me being stupid. I had a couple of bags of pot that I was allowed to have because the terms of my bail didn't have anything to do with my rights as a patient. I was within my legal limit of what I had, but I get pulled over because one of my mirrors wasn't right or something, and the cop said, I smell pot, get out of the car, found what I had, and I spent uh, over an hour talking to him, breaking all the rules, because I knew if I didn't, I was going to get arrested, and if I got arrested in another county, I was going to get what they call crime bail crime, and I would have charges in one county, charges in another county, and they probably wouldn't have granted me bail. And I probably would have lost both cases. But I decided against probably my better judgment, but I let my gut do the talking, and I talked to this cop, and I didn't get arrested. In fact, um, he took my pot, and he took my cell phone, but that was it. He gave me a receipt for those things. Never got charges filed. However, the next time I came into court in Long Beach, clearly the prosecutor was aware of what had happened. She went to the judge and said, Your Honor, this guy is up to his old tricks again, and uh, we want him remanded. Violate his bond. And they showed a little small sliver of a 45-minute video that made it appear that something had happened when it didn't. Remember, folks, Everything you say will be used against you. And even though it got me out of getting arrested the first time, I got hauled out of court, and they had doubled my bond, making it a quarter of a million dollars. And I <clears throat> got taken into jail, I think it was November 12th. So five years ago today, I was sitting in the Twin Towers um, trying to come up with a quarter-million-dollar bond after five years of fighting a battle, which left me penniless. Um, it was pretty hopeless. I had a guy that I had helped run for Congress named Steve Collette. 
he's passed on since too, rest his soul. Um, he had a beach house up in Hermosa Beach, and he was willing to put that house up as a property bond, which should have worked, could have worked. House is worth six and a half million dollars. He owed half a million on it. My bond was a quarter million. Should have easily been something that could have happened. But the prosecutor didn't want it to happen, and uh, the DA's office fought it, twisted it, turned it around, kept putting condition after condition. They weren't going to let it happen. Kept coming back to court, finding out, nope, they got it, they need this, they need that. Finally, Steve got weary and said, I'm sorry, I just I can't do what they're asking me to do. And um, I got left out in the cold. So I can remember five years ago, the day before Thanksgiving, when I knew it was almost with certainty I was going to be locked up for Thanksgiving, when for the past 18 years I had had a big open house Thanksgiving at my house and invited everybody, anybody, homeless people, anybody could have come and had Thanksgiving with me. And we shared our place, we shared a meal, and uh, celebrated life. And I can remember very clearly what it was like to be locked up uh, for Thanksgiving. Today, there are a lot of people locked up for Thanksgiving. There are people that have recently been locked up. There are people that are fighting their cases right now. Um, They're try out and trying to make bail. Uh, we'll talk about those a little bit later. There are people serving pr prison terms right now. People serving life in prison. Craig Cease will be calling shortly to talk about what it's like in prison for Thanksgiving. That's what's going on right now. Um, we have a lot happening. I'm going to talk about a little slice of what's going on in the day or in the week of the life of the Human Solution, an all-volunteer organization, and the things that we deal with, um, the help that we need. We're going to talk about all that stuff. This is kind of a, a powerful show. Uh, it seems to be like that every week. We're going to start off, though, with a little victory, a uh, couple of guests that... Uh, had a victory in Atlanta, Georgia, and when I heard about this, I uh, I was tickled. A couple of months back, I went to Georgia for the Netroots Convention, and it's a progressive sort of a conference, and all kinds of political groups and people are here, and I met up with a bunch of folks, the Peachtree Normal people, I finally got to meet them in person, and um, had a great time networking with a bunch of civil rights activists. And we sat down, me and a bunch of them, and we decided to form a coalition. We've got a coalition, but we decided to ramp it up. We said, Atlanta is the hub of the civil rights movement. Why not start something here? And there were probably, I don't know, eight or nine people, maybe a little more, that agreed to work together. And to think that a jury nullification case came out of Atlanta, Georgia, within two months of us sitting down, it wasn't because we sat down, but in some way it probably was. I believe in creating the creative thought, creative energy, that when we set out to do something, it opens the door for it to happen. And when people stand up and fight, and we're going to talk to the defendant and the attorney in this case, when people are willing to stand up and fight, um, then they got a chance to win. They have a chance. And if you don't stand up and fight, you don't have a chance. 
So we're going to begin our conversation right now, and we've got Tom McCain from Georgia, and we got Catherine Bernard, and let's see, I think that's it for from Georgia right now, but I think we may have more coming in later on. Start on with Tom McCain. Tom McCain, welcome to the show. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Yeah, me too. Uh, and thanks for having us tonight. Well, I, I love it when we can have a, uh, a a celebration when we can when we can have a victory that we can talk about. Um, you know, we talk all the time about the value of people's supporting each other and the value of educating and the value of standing tall and the value of of courage and and not bowing to an oppressive government. And then when somebody stands up in a place that is hostile and they have the opportunity for the right thing to happen, and occasionally a perfect storm happens and the right people that possess the power to make a change um, have the courage to do something about it. And this was one of those cases. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Um, before we bring in our next guest. Well, it was a, uh, just a minor correction here. It was in Dublin, Georgia, not in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, which actually makes it a little more significant because Dublin is like right in the, kind of right in the middle of middle Georgia and uh, uh, rural, um, only about 20 I can't remember, about 25,000, I believe, population in Dublin. But at any rate, um, like I said, in in middle Georgia, which is pretty conservative, and uh, and it was a sale case uh, or an intent-to-distribute case, actually. And uh happened back in 2012. Uh, actually, I think, you know, maybe uh, Catherine would – be better to shed light on on exactly when Let's how long go ahead it and bring up, to be. Guys, yeah. uh, you guys can go ahead and uh, and I'm going to keep you both on here. Um, All right. And so, if I'm, it, let me be clear. Um, Catherine is the attorney of record, uh, the public defender in this case that represented uh, the defendant Antonio Willis. Correct. That's correct. Okay. Catherine Bernard, you're live on the air. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've really been enjoying listening to your story of really understanding exactly what we're up against in the legal system right now. Oh, it's it's frightening. Uh, when people talk about the belly of the beast, the belly is the soft part. It's the teeth of the beast you got to worry about. It really is, and it's something that a lot of people don't realize until it personally affects them or a member of their family. I can't tell you how often I hear as a public defender, you know, I never thought America was like this. I didn't think this kind of thing happened to people in our country. I I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, how long have you been practicing law as a public defender? Well, I actually didn't start out doing criminal law. You know, during law school, I thought I was going to be a corporate lawyer and ended up doing that for a couple of years right out of law school. But then I became a public defender in rural Georgia, Dublin to be exact, and really it was like the scales fell from my eyes. I had been studying law my whole life, 
but I never really understood law as something that actually is done to people. You know, so many lawyers, we get caught up in, in the experience of arguing back and forth that we forget about the impact of laws on human lives. Oh, you're so correct. And I, before we get going further, I just want to let you guys know that um, Craig Cecil, who is currently serving life in prison without possible possibility of parole for pot, single-time, first-time offender, um, he calls into the show roughly about this time. When he does call, it obviously uh, upends whatever we're doing and talking about for 15 minutes. So I just want to give you the heads up. When he calls, just realize that that's what's happening. Well, thanks so much for the heads up, Joe, and I'm I'm looking forward to hearing that because, you know, again, one of the one of the things that really changed my perspective as a public defender was, you know, actually talking to people about their journey in the criminal justice system. Again, it's something that is just so alien to so many of our experiences that, you know, if I didn't see it with my own eyes, I would think it was a conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah, the more you see, the more you kind of you don't want to, you know, get pushed into the crazy pile, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a crazy world we live in. I, I want to make a comment here. I've worked with a lot of people that have dealt with public defenders, and uh, probably more than 85% of the time, being generous, uh, it's a very negative experience. Um, however, some of the most passionate, capable attorneys I've ever worked with have been public defenders. Um, what is it that that happens typically, and I'm not talking about your case, but you're in the public defender's office, you must see what happens. What is the dynamic um, of the public defender's office that gives such poor representation most of the time to most people? Well, it's very different from state to state, and even within the state, it's different from county to county. You know, Georgia's public defender system, in some areas, there is actually an office, you know, with a chief public defender who has lawyers working for him or her. But in other places, it's all what's called conflict public defenders, which are private attorneys who are hired to do a certain number of public defender cases at a, at a very low rate. And actually, you know, I've, I've been in criminal law for almost a decade now. I was a full-time public defender for several years, tried a lot of cases. I'm now, I live back up in Atlanta, but I still have what's called a conflict contract where I take a set number of cases from the public defender system every year. And so that's allowed me to kind of have a lot of the same perspective that public defenders have, but also really get to focus in and drill down on cases of, of real injustice. Because, you know, as, as you well know, not everybody in the justice system is there for uh, an unjust drug crime. Some of them are there because they actually did something bad. And that's an important There are actual criminals in prison yeah. and in courts. I wish they'd spend more time with them. But, but you're exactly. absolutely right. There's a lot of nasty people in jail, and uh, that's what makes it such a heinous disparity when somebody who doesn't belong there ends up there. Um, Absolutely. I, what I'd like to just, you know, you have this unique perspective, and I want to just sort of, I don't know, use your perspective to enlighten people. Uh, I talk all the time about the percentage of cases that are settled in plea deals, and my facts that I have tell me that it's anywhere from 95 to 97%. What is your experience with that? 
that seems about accurate. You know, certainly I was very lucky to work at a public defender's office that tried more cases than most. You know, that's what I mean about kind of the variation in experience even among offices in the same state. So a lot of it really depends on, on the individual lawyers involved. And, you know, that, that really defines the quality of representation that somebody is going to get. And I want to emphasize how much of this is political in nature. You know, often these public defender appointments are, you know, they come from the governor or from a commission that is formed by the governor. And so there's a lot of, of political intrigue going on to some extent. And very often, if you're winning too many cases, we had a, a circuit public defender here in Georgia in Warner Robbins who was actually removed from office. They felt like he was winning too many cases and fighting too hard. Wow. Wow. Well, that that's, you know, unfortunately, I I wish I could say I can't believe it, but um, I, I can believe it. And, you know, I like I said, I've, I've fought three cases and, and ultimately won them all, but it was a rough road, and, you know, I, I made of some ridiculous stuff that, doesn't know how to give up, and I've been blessed with some amazing people that never let me go. But let's talk about the case at hand. Um, what was it like when you met Antonio, and uh, how did that come about? Well, I actually met Antonio several years ago. You know, this case happened, the, the actual allegations happened in 2012, and so he had been out on bond for five years. So I had seen wow. him at various calendar calls. You know, the poor guy had to come to court, you know, probably 20 or 30 times during the course of of this. And each time, you know, you're having to take off from work. He's uh, a trucker, so that often re required, you know, very difficult scheduling. And I apologize. I hope that's not my phone that's causing that background noise, Joe. I, I think it is, but don't worry about it. You're uh, a riveting conversation. You can you got a trump card right now. Well, I can call you back on, on another phone if, if that's a little bit easier because, you know, uh, Tom McCain has a good perspective on all this, too. He, he's uh, been a law enforcement officer in Lawrence County where all this took place, and so he can tell you about the process. It's uh, Defendants find themselves getting dragged into court a lot of times just to get to the point of having a jury trial. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. My case drug on for six years. Or the total of all six or all three cases, but I found myself in court upwards of 200 times, um, and I court was 75 miles from my house, and that meant I had to take a day off, drive in traffic 75 miles one way to get to court, knowing full well if I was late, this judge would issue a bench warrant, and I'd find myself back in back in jail. And I don't know that people realize that, you know, everybody says, ah, oh, you'll be fine, just keep continuing it. You know, they don't realize that when you do that, you know, every time that you're in court on bail, anything goes wrong and boom, you're gone. And, you know, it's it's living a life of such stress, um, you know, it just, it's just, it's devastating to a lot of people. It really is, and, you know, fortunately, Antonio, uh, you know, he's got a lovely wife, you know, nice family, you know, he had he had good family support during this time, but still, I mean, when you're on bond, you've got an open felony charge, it's very difficult for employment, you know, it really interrupts your life, you know, you can't own a firearm, you basically don't have constitutional rights when you're on bond, 
and it's only because of an accusation. You haven't he- even had the opportunity to defend yourself and ask your fellow citizens to see that you don't deserve to be treated this way by the government. That's so true. Well, let's tell us about the, the, the trial. Um, the first part of the trial, obviously, is the Vlad Dyer jury selection. Um, and I've sat in a lot of trials as an advocate, um, an expert witness, and a defendant. Um, and I've watched a lot of juries get picked. People, the Constitution says you have a right to a trial by a jury of your peers, but the definition of the term peer and the jury pool often don't match. What was this jury like? Well, obviously, I think they were a great jury. They they came to the correct conclusion, <laughs> but, but really... It was the best one ever. Well, actually... You know, I will say I run into a lot of good juries. I've, this was actually my seventh uh, not guilty trial this year, and so I've, uh, it's been really nice to, to really be speaking to a lot of juries who sort of understand uh, what, what's going on with the justice system. That's, it's just such a powerful engine. But this particular group, you know, we had tw- the, obviously the 12 jurors, and, you know, we picked two alternates as well because you never know when something's going to happen. You know, in my last trial, we actually had to use both alternates because two people got sick. So uh, we we went ahead and we picked 14 jurors. It was a very racially balanced jury. Uh, we had seven white folks, five black folks on the main jury, and then one black man and one white man as an alternate. Uh, you know, a variety of ages, you know, people from all throughout Lawrence County. So what was really interesting is we actually had three people with very close connections to law enforcement on the jury. We had the mother of a Lawrence County deputy. We had the son of a Dublin detective. And we had the brother of the sheriff of another county in Georgia. Wow. That's, yeah, uh, so that's, it was... That's pretty hardcore. So typically in, in a lot of cases, especially, like in this case, the defendant really didn't have a defense the way I understand it. Unless you could prove it didn't happen, there wasn't a medical defense or a recreational defense that he had afforded to him. Um, and in, in my experience, and I've never sat in a case in New Hampshire, but I understand New Hampshire is the only state where they actually allow a jury to be told about their rights of nullification. Um, how did you get it in? I, I've sat in one case in Kansas where we were able to, uh, through some good lawyering and uh, a huge amount of advocates rallying very aggressively outside the courthouse um, and being very attentive and, and uh, respectful inside the courthouse. Um, it's very seldom that you, you see this happen. How were you able to get the jury to know that they had that option? Well, in Georgia, we're lucky that our Constitution actually enshrines the notion of jury nullification very clearly. You know, Article 1, Section 1, Paragraph 11 says the jury shall be the judges of the law and the fact. You know, it's, it's very straightforward. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of very confusing language in a lot of states, and then you have to kind of go back to the federal precedent that has tried to cut back on jury nullification. But the Georgia Constitution is very clear. The jury judges the law and the facts. And so I found that that's just a very effective thing to be able to cite. You know, if perhaps the prosecutor is asking questions that, you know, suggest uh, a judge, you know, that 
in this particular case, the prosecution asked the potential jurors, do you believe that marijuana should be legal? And in fact, six people raised their hands and said, yes, yes, they did. Um, and the prosecutor kind of questioned all of them. But I actually objected to that question because my view is that since, you know, the the validity of the law is itself at issue, it is inappropriate to ask these jurors to prejudge the case by, you know, asking, do you think that this should be a law? So it was not an objection that the judge sustained in this particular case, but I, I do think it's a very valid legal argument that it's not appropriate for a prosecutor to ask jurors to prejudge the case at the voir dire stage. I couldn't agree more. Now, typically, um, Again, I, I have never sat in a trial in Georgia. I've sat in trials in probably 15 other states, both federal and state, and uh, family law, all, all, all sorts of cases. And the one thing that I've noticed has been very constant is that the judges have this, I don't know, God complex uh, in their courtroom, and the, they will admonish a jury very sternly and let them know that they swore an oath to uh, judge the evidence that was presented to them and apply the law that the judge gives them in their deliberations. And the judges often, even when there is, you know, been a campaign to educate jurors uh, about their rights to nullify, the judge will aggressively sometimes uh, sort of push his weight on the jury and remind them of their oath, remind them that they swore to do what he said. Do the judges in in Georgia, or in this judge in particular, was he doing that? No, not at all. Uh, like I said, he did not sustain my objection, you know, during the voir dire process, and I did not uh, – I did not formally request a jury nullification instruction, but I did orally make that request, and, and you know the judge did not offer to give that that jury instruction. That is the language from the Georgia Constitution. But again, I, you know, one of the problems I think in in our modern legal system is too much has become about the lawyers and the judge talking to each other and making the decisions. You know what comes in, what does what. You know the jury is more powerful than the judge. You know the jury is the finder of fact. You know, they are the most powerful ones in that courthouse. And so while you do have a lot of judges who are unfortunately kind of bullying, I think, you know, thoughtful judges and thoughtful lawyers can kind of guide that process away from, you know, the judge bullying the lawyers and, you know, reemphasizing the jurors are the ones making the final decision. That's, that's why they are being brought in. Boy, I wish we could clone you. I... Um... I have a handful of attorneys, uh, even after spending so much time in the legal system, and I hesitate to call it a justice system, but it's just my, you know, biased opinion. Um, just but to us, find yes. that and understand what you're that's what you're saying, and and are willing to act on it, um, it's it's golden. Um, and I would like to, before we continue. Uh, invite you to be a regular guest on the show. <laughs> I mean, not every week, obviously, but maybe a couple of times a year. Come in and 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 you know, bring us up to speed with what's happening. There's a lot of change happening in Georgia, and uh, I, I think that it's it's hopeful and inspiring to people when they listen to an attorney saying what you're saying. 
So how did the trial go? It went great. You know, it was, we picked the jury on Monday, October 30th. Uh, you know, it actually went pretty late. I don't think we left until about 6 o'clock in the evening. And then we came back and, you know, started the trial, opening statements, 9 a.m. on Halloween. And, you know, I thought about, you know, do you do you dress up for Halloween at the courthouse? I, I did <laughs> not. Uh, uh, but, you know, I, I will admit, you know, during closing argument, I think I did make a reference to how scary it was when officers would dress up in costume and, you know, go around to people's houses. So, uh you know, I, I brought it in a little bit. But overall, it was a very straightforward trial. The state called uh, three witnesses, uh, all law enforcement, the, the two officers who participated in the undercover buy and then the officer who tested the marijuana. Uh, we called Antonio Willis, my, uh, my client, and did closing arguments. Uh, at, you know, we wrapped up around 4 o'clock before, and the judge charged the one day jury. Trial. Yep, one-day trial. Jury came back, you wow. know. Uh, after 18 minutes, it only took them 18 minutes to find him not guilty on two <laughs> counts of distribution of marijuana. Wow. Wow. So did you talk to the jurors afterward? You know, I did not get a chance to, which uh, that's that's one kind of peril of, you know, I I do these I do most of my trials by myself. I don't have like a second chair or any other employees in my office. And so it was, you know, just me and Antonio and then Antonio's family. So after the trial, I, you know, sat and talked to them and they were just everybody was so happy because really, you know, he was he was nervous about going to trial because I mean, come on, you know, there's a a video of him engaging in a hand-to-hand transaction with an undercover officer. Like I certainly understood his his concern, uh, but you know, a a plea in a case like this, and even when they came down to you know five years probation, a plea will still suspend your driver's license. It will still affect your employment. You know, probation is such a dangerous place to be. So really, uh, I I will admit I focused my time on on talking to his family instead of going out and talking to the jurors. Uh, I might I might reach out to them and, and see if they have any thoughts later on though because uh, certainly it was I was very excited that they that they did the right thing and let Antonio go home to his family. Uh, now, Tom, I I was under the impression or hoping that Antonio was going to be joining us today. Um, was is there any reason he wasn't able to make it? Well, <clears throat> not that I know of, but. Now he is a he is a trucker and he uh, sent me a message late yesterday. He said he would be on, but he was on his way back from Texas. So, you know, not I'm it. not sure. No, I understand, and you know, it's just exciting. I've always said, you know, there's a lot of 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 emphasis on changing laws. I don't have a problem with changing laws. A lot of laws need to be changed. Hell. A lot of laws need to be repealed and just removed altogether. But I've always said that it really doesn't matter what the law says if the citizens use their rights, wield their power as a jury. And if enough jurors do this in these types of cases, um, what does the prosecution office typically do? Uh. Well, my guess is that they stop prosecuting them, but uh, but I don't know. Let's I think let that's the Catherine model. Yeah, that's that. the model we hope for. 
I mean, back in Prohibition, if you look at what happened during the early part of the 20th mm-hmm. century in America, you know, juries were not convicting people of alcohol-related crimes. You know, I've heard figures of up to two-thirds of alcohol-related cases were being thrown out just because jurors recognized that this was not an appropriate way to spend our public safety resources. So I think that's the idea of what we'd like to see happen here. Unfortunately, you know, prosecutors, I have not seen them really backing off. Uh, it might, you know, obviously jurisdictions are different. Uh, different places will, will treat it differently. But, you know, I just got a call yesterday from uh, someone, someone's girlfriend saying, oh, my, my boyfriend got arrested for possession of marijuana with intent to distribute because, you know, he had one gram in two bags. So you're still right. seeing a lot of very aggressive arrests. Well, you know, the, the law enforcement has been picking these low-hanging fruit for 50 years, more than 50 years, and, you know, we're easy targets. We typically don't fight back. We usually have uh, uh, money to, to, to pay bails and things like that. It's, you know, we feed the system pretty well. And plus there's all this grant money coming from the federal government. This whole war on drugs is a self-sustaining nightmare for citizens and a self-fulfilling prophecy for law enforcement and prosecutors. And I know that, you know, we're, we're chipping away at it with laws and things like that. And, um, you know, I think one of the benefits of the laws uh, changing is that a bunch of big money is coming into it now, and big money can afford big lawyers to fight some cases that, that come down the pike. But it's going to be a long battle. It's going to be a long road to hoe, and, you know, that's why every time I hear of a victory like this, I really want to raise it up and and show it to people to see what can happen when you do stand up and fight. Antonio risked a lot by fighting. If he would have taken a deal, um, and maybe they would have dropped it to a misdemeanor or, or had a suspended sentence, he might not have lost his commercial license. He might have been able to just go on about his business as long as he didn't get arrested again, and that's what, you know, that 95 to 97% rely on. Unfortunately, not in Georgia. I mean, that's that's the thing is is really I think if if they had been able to guarantee that he could keep his license, he he might have taken he might have taken the deal, uh, but. Uh- that unfortunately, there's no way around it uh, with this particular, uh, you know. Unfortunately, Georgia's laws are still pretty harsh on drugs. I know we have gotten a reputation for criminal justice reform. I will say I consider that mostly undeserved. But, you know, look at our governor. He's an ex-prosecutor whose son is a superior court judge. He's a very clever guy. At, well, Georgia's an interesting place. I'm... I, I think we've got a lot, a lot of good stuff happening, a lot of good dynamics, but you know, we we've got to be skeptical of of the politicians' motives as they get involved in this. That's why I love you know talking to juries because these are people who you know they don't have political motives. They you know they have homes and families and jobs they want to get back to, but they're also you know members of the community, taxpayers of the community, people who want to be kept safe in the community, and I think they are really just sick of the idea that cops are spending their time kicking in doors over marijuana and Xanax instead of out there solving burglaries and rapes. Yeah, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago. Um, I went on a little tirade about, you know, what would the world be like if law enforcement and elected officials focused on violent crimes and actually protecting society from violent 
people. Um, we we have you know case after case of of you know people everything from from extortion to rapes to murders to gross bodily injury every type of violent crime you can imagine and you watch these people uh, you know, skip through the system uh, repeat offenders keep bouncing through you know there was a case in California the guy just got convicted of killing his his child violently. And there was a dozen points at which law enforcement could have and should have stepped in, including CPS actually doing their job. Um, and instead, there's a dead kid and a traumatized who knows how many people. And you know, it's 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 unbelievable. Well, I I am very grateful that you took the time to to spend with us on the show. And Tom, um, I I expect you and I are going to get to know each other a lot better as time goes by. I'm really uh, pleased that uh, you know you've you've joined uh, this show and and that we've gotten to meet each other and um, you know the Peachtree Normal is an exceptional organization out of out of so many uh, you know organizations out there they support people the way that Human Solution does in so many ways and it's um, it's a it's an important thing Tammy or not, I'm sorry Tammy's my next guest Catherine um, I just want to ask one other one final question um, I've sat in a lot of courtrooms and I've watched a lot of defendants uh, for all different reasons and most of the time a defendant is there by himself maybe if it's lucky he has an attorney um, and maybe has a family member or a loved one with him what's it like when a defendant brings in you know actual support community support and they're well behaved and you know, they're not disruptive or anything. They're just there to support the defendant and, and witness the uh, the proceedings. It makes a huge difference, and that's what I would love to encourage your listeners to do, is if you want to make a difference in the justice system, go to your local courthouse, you know, where you are a taxpayer, where you are the ones who are vo voting on either the judges, if they're elected like they are in Georgia, or the people who appoint the judges like they are in some other states. You know, go to those places. You own those places. You are in charge of those places you are the one who gets to decide how they run. And so that's why it's so powerful to inform our fellow citizens about jury duty and what they can do. And so I, I think that's just, that is one of the most powerful things we can do is, you know, serve on juries, tell other people about their right to serve on a jury and how they can judge the law as well as the facts, you know, make it clear it's, it's totally legal, and show up for people's trials. You know, if you find out somebody is being charged with some nonsense trial, uh, some nonsense charge, you know, go in and support them and, and let your elected officials, your employees, know that you're not happy with the way they're spending your resources. Well, Catherine, I'd like to introduce you to a little group that we call the Human Solution International. And that's one of the fundamentals that we do is support uh, defendants, primarily in cannabis cases. Uh, we're a civil rights organization, though, and if there's a, uh, a civil rights issue that crosses over that, we, we support as we see fit. But one of the things we do, and one of the deciding factors in my case, I had an 18-day trial, and we had 150 wow. to 200 some days out in front of that courthouse, uh, you know, protesting and, and packing the courtroom, and, you know, it, it, it held me up while I was going through it. Uh, I wouldn't. I don't know if I would have been able to keep fighting the way I did if it wasn't for the support behind me. 
Um, in the end, we ended up overturning my jury verdict on a motion because of all the egregious uh, uh, acts that the judge committed, and the judge actually recused himself at my sentencing, which opened the door for that to happen. Um, but it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for all the support. Um, being righteous is great, but it doesn't pay the bills, number one, and it, and it doesn't keep you out of jail, number two. And, you know, if it isn't for the people standing behind you, it's a really difficult road to hoe. And so if you ever run into a, a defendant that, you know, qualifies for this, just let them know about us. And, um, you know, we're an all-volunteer organization. We're international. We've got chapters all over the country. And, you know, it's just grassroots. We step up and help folks when they need it. And uh, it's, it's just something that we're here to do. Well, I will definitely be following y'all and letting you know about any important cases. And I would also ask if anybody's interested, I also have a Facebook page. It's Catherine, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, Bernard. And then I've also got Spartacus Legal, which is where we kind of gather together really worthy cases of injustice and try to gather support for them. So I am. thank you so much for everything that you're doing and for telling your story, Joe. And it's really just been a privilege to talk about this case because jury nullification, it's it's not some crazy idea. It is actually kind of the root of our American Republic, and it's something that should be able to bring people from across the political perspective uh, spectrum together. We can all decide, you know, our government needs to do its job. So true. Well, Catherine, I will be reaching out to you um, in the next few days, and um, I look forward to maybe working a little bit closer with your Spartacus Foundation, and, um, you know, we have a lot of common ground. Once again, well, folks, thank you so much, Catherine from Georgia, public defender, and I'm going to appoint you officially superhero. Um, you have a, a, a cape and a cowl that you now possess. You might not see it physically, but it is there, and I, and I know it's there. <laughs> well, thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much. And Tom McCain, uh, did you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I just wanted to follow up on something that Catherine was talking about with uh, Governor Deal's um, criminal justice reform program. You know, one of, the, one of the things that he tries to do in it, or he has said that he wants to do in it, is to not have as many people on probation in Georgia as they do, or as we do. And uh, when I look at the numbers for marijuana arrests in the state of Georgia, they're somewhere between 30 and 35,000 every year, it varies a little bit. But let's take 32,000, let's take that figure. And uh, if he really wants people not to be on probation, then he should take a page from your book and, uh, you know, I enjoyed it, Netroots Nation, being able to uh, take some pictures of you guys with the sign that you have up. You know, nobody belongs in jail for a plant. Um, so if he doesn't want them on probation, and we put 32,000 of them a year on probation. It seems like to me that the sensible thing to do would be just not to arrest them in the first place. That makes a lot of sense. And, and this is coming from a, a retired law enforcement official. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, it, it was funny. Last week we had uh, two retired law enforcement officials and yourself. I never in a million years would have thought I'd be sitting in a room talking with three cops in a in a in a polite um respectful uh productive way but you know you just you just never know and and you know it it just proves that 
opening yourself to making change happen and, and being available when that change happens, anything's possible. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, Catherine. Well, Tom, uh, uh, how, how would anybody get a hold of you if they're in the uh, Atlanta area and uh, either want to help uh, support somebody else or is in a situation where they need some help? How would they get a hold of you? Well, uh, we have a Peachtree Normal Facebook group that they can join and contact us through. There's a lot of educational material put out there, and and we highlight those injustices that we see in marijuana law uh, uh, enforcement, uh, also. Um, and uh, you know, we got a, a Facebook page, Facebook group, so you can reach out to me that way, or you can call me at four zero. Two six five seven zero seven four one. That's my direct number, and uh, I'd be happy to talk to anybody in the state of Georgia that wants to help reform their laws. Beautiful. Well, Tom, I, I expect you and I will get to know each other a lot better in the next weeks and months. We got a lot of work to do, and uh, anytime I can find an yes, ally, we, uh, we uh, I, I'm, I'm there to lock arms and get this job done. So. I, I want to thank you guys both, and I, I wish you both a very wonderful Thanksgiving, and um, I look to, forward to talking to you both soon. Happy Thanksgiving to you too, Joe. All righty. All right, folks. Um, you know, Craig Cecil didn't call. I, I I hope to God something didn't happen. Usually the only time he doesn't call in is um, if there's a lockdown, and um, the other defendant from Michigan was going to call as well, and he may still be both of them still still may call at any given time. Um, you know, there's a lot going on right now. We've got uh, Dr. Tammy Brazil up next, and um, I'm really looking forward to talking to her. Um, she's up from Northern California, and uh, I met Tammy, hell, I don't know when we met, probably three or four years ago um, up in Shasta when I was dealing with some of the cases up there. And... Um, Tom Corby has been working with Tammy. I've bumped into her at events from here and there, um, but we've never really sat down and had a, a, a heart-to-heart. And, um, you know, as I'm going through looking for people that want to come onto the show and, and people that I can have uh, uh, that I think are of value to the show and to the community, uh, Tammy was on my list, and she graciously agreed. Uh, realize, folks, uh, we've done, I think, 12 or 13 shows in a row with, I think, only one interruption. Um, in the past three months, I've been cramming two guests per show because I had so many guests um, that wanted to come on. But I've kind of burned up my list a little bit, and I've only got a couple of guests scheduled. So if you know somebody who... Uh, uh, you think would be a good guest on the show, or if you think you would be a good guest on the show, or if you've been a guest on the show before and you want to come and join us again, get in touch with me. Um, I'm easy to reach, or you can just call me 951-436-6312 and let me know you want to be on the show. Um, if you want to call in and you're if you're on the if you're listening on the radio right now, if you're listening on your phone and you've got something you want to add to a conversation you got two things you can do. One, and I'm not sure of it, but I think you can dial pound. No, nah, never mind. Hang up and call back, and our amazing screener, non-compliant Mary, will let me know that you've got something to say. 
And at any time, if you're sitting there, you know, you hear something that you agree with, you disagree with, you have a story to share, um, you got a question you want to ask a guest, that's it. Hang up, call right back. If you're listening on the live stream and you want to call in and talk, um, we got a live stream going right now, two different feeds, bouncing around Facebook. Please share it around so others can see it. But when people are asking me questions, typically I'm not looking at it. I'm busy doing everything else. So if you want to call into the show and you're watching it on the live stream right now, you just dial 646-929-2495. And, again, our amazing screener, Non-compliant Mary will join, will uh, put you up and let me know what's going on. All right, so now we got Tammy Brazil from Shasta, and I've been looking forward to this for a while. Tammy, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fabulous. How are you? What a fabulous show. I'm really intrigued. Uh, yeah, a lot going on. This has been a big, uh, a big show, and and. Uh, you know, it's amazing. We we opened up this. We used to do a different show that was more like a news show. And it was good. There was a lot of news. But I always wanted to get in depth and talk to people a little bit more about their stories. And, you know, ending prohibition is a big job. And, and it covers a lot of ground. And it's it's partly about changing laws. It's partly about changing opinions. It's partly about educating people. It's partly about standing up. It's partly about, you know, not, not getting pushed over. And, and so many other things, and I and I see that you know this is a medium that can reach an endless amount of people because it's being recorded, and it can be shared, and you know a year from now somebody can go back and watch it and listen to it, and you know it's kind of a a, a tool that we get, we were given a gift, and so I, I don't want to I don't want to piss it away, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm looking at your letter of introduction, and you come quite. Um, Endowed with, um, with. Um, I've done a lot of things. <laughs> you, you, you have you, you come with such, uh, such references. I, I don't know where to begin when they call you Queen of Dragons. They're not kidding. So tell me what's going on. Uh, I understand you have a lot of health issues on top of it all. Just from yes, my, I my do. pain. Att- yes, What's I do. going on? So I'm going to let you sort of introduce yourself and and touch on the things that you think are most important and. I will, in my um, hopefully endearing way, probe you about the things that I think people would want to hear more about. There we go. Okay, well, I'm Dr. Tammy Brazil. I am majorly naturopathic. I have a Ph.D. I'm also um, N-D-C-T-N-D-N-M-D-H-R-S-D, Ph.D. I was formerly on the Business Advisory Council to the President of the United States, and there I received the Congressional Medal of Distinction for 2006. I was doing a different field back then, and now, of course, I'm doing medical marijuana. And what I stand for is I stand for the rights of terminally and chronically ill children to receive medical cannabis. Wow. Well... It sounds like, um, you know, your endeavor is the most worthy. Um, we deal with people constantly. You know, the human solution has been helping folks all across the country. That's how and I met you. I met you I, with no, no. Landon of Team Landon, who, of course, as we all know, made the cover of Newsweek. All right? We are very I, proud of that because he defeated his leukemia with cannabis and without the um, aid of chemo and everything else because that wasn't doing well for him. 
So he was on the cover of a special health issue of Newsweek as a cancer rebel. And then they turned around and put him in the special Newsweek edition of Weed in the middle of the centerfold of Just Say Yes. And this child is six years old. Yeah, he's an amazing kid. I can remember a couple of years back we, we came up there for a little uh, little soiree, and um, I got to spend a little bit of time with him and and uh, and mom and uh, and a bunch of folks. And you know, it, to hear the story about you know a kid that is dying and and isn't going to survive, and find out that this plant and a mom that's courageous enough to give it to her child at at all risks. I mean. You risk losing everything when you when you make a decision, even in a state that's so-called legal. Um, it's it's still a, a tremendous risk. Well, that's where but, I will cut in on, okay? Because as is California is so-called legal. Um, I think in the new provisions, we haven't totally covered the children that need this, and these children are terminal, so that means they will die. Okay, at some point, unless, like Landon, they're miraculously saved. And then we have the seizures. But I don't think we're covering them, the new laws of California, as we go in forward. Oh, I totally agree with you. I am, I am very I'm much very opposed. I'm very upset about it, actually. <laughs> I'm trying to keep a little low-key on this. I'm very upset about it. Okay, and um, I see where the new regs said that, yes, we can go and we can give these patients free medicine if the – Collective go, or no, at that time it will be a dispensary, takes the medicine in, they pay for it, and give it to the person. But now all this is accounted for. These kids don't get a, a cannabis recommendation from a hospital, just as some doctor thinks, oh, yeah, you know what, I just think I'll just go ahead and uh, sign here. Let's try that. Um, we, we go through severe things. We even have social workers in on this, and all doctors and all PAs must sign off. Okay, but now when it comes to the end result, we're not even letting the child come in there. So now we have them coming in with their parent, okay, who can't get away or sending somebody else. And now we're in a really gray area cause, because the doctors are starting to stop writing for children because of the new laws. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Tammy. I, uh, I've been an opponent of most of the legalization efforts not that i oppose legalization i just oppose the laws the way they've been written i see them as a trojan horse and exactly. you know they open the as door for one thing, but they close the door on, on things that need to happen and things that if they don't happen are going to be uh just perpetuating the the black market and keeping the criminal element of this even though it shouldn't be a criminal element uh, it, it, it's keeping it a crime. And when Prop 64 in California came through, I, I ardently opposed it. Not that, again, I'm all for ending prohibition. I think we should repeal the Controlled Substances Act. But short of that, we should at least pass a law that decriminalizes this. It doesn't need to be a felony or even a misdemeanor when there's something that offends somebody. And that's really all this is, is that there's a group of it people that find It offends somebody it. to give a child who is dying cannabis so that they will return to their parent because they can re- go and reduce the amount of that high 
painkiller they're given to them and they can come back to them for a little while before they die? I don't think so. Well, and, and you know, the thing of it is is we have people all across the country that are sacrificing, uh, you know, potentially their freedom, their their livelihood, their, um, I mean, we have a, a mother that's fled Kansas just this morning um, and, and landed herself in Colorado on her way supposedly to California um, to get some medicine for a kid who's, you know, uh, having hundreds of seizures, just started grand malls, and it's gotten progressively worse. And, you know, this is, you got to imagine as a parent what a, a, a horrifying decision it would be to make to, you know, literally it would be almost like fleeing, you know, a, a, a slave situation, you know. You just, it would be like risking everything with the hopes of getting this, this, this medicine that might save you. It, it's Correct. So upsetting to me. I mean, my case was over three years ago, and I, I probably fight harder today than ever before because I keep seeing these cases. I keep seeing these stories where you know people that are innocent are being are, are being you know taken out um, over this. And that's where jury nullification is going to come in very, very handy because, as I see it, a lot of these cases are going to be mothers with children who this is their last desperate act. Oh, absolutely. The and it's happening, be, And the you doctors know. are going to be included as well because now they've gone and they, I'm telling you right now, if they're making it almost impossible for a child to get it. And when I see it, when you have a little child and he is six, and he goes around nonstop all day, and he's wearing a helmet. All of a sudden, you give him some CBD with minimal THC. It's a 25 to 1. That's 25 CBD to 1 THC. Now, the kid has gone on for the next three years, and he doesn't have to wear a helmet. Well, it seems like that's just a no-brainer. I mean, right. you know. It, it, that's what I'm trying to say. And even look at look at this, Tammy. But we're going to charge the parent, and we're going to go against the doctor. So now, what happens is we get more doctors who are very, very good doctors, who have been given all these case records, and they will not do it, even in the hospital, even with the backup team, because their signature is the last signature on that trail of tears, and they won't sign. Why? Because he's afraid he's going to get taken down because he gave. A child, CBD, not high, and one, one THC. But the kid well, doesn't wear a helmet. Look at it just, I mean, let's let's just throw a little bit of common sense into it, okay? Children are prescribed psych meds. Morphine, children, everything, Dilaudin. Exactly. Okay, in through their spine, in through their spine they have it fed. I have seen these children who are getting fed through their spine and through a port at the same time. And, and guess what they get? They get high as hell, okay? Yeah, but and, when and we can handle it with the cannabis and they don't have sure. it. I've had kids who've had it removed. They've had it removed I, I, after I, it actually helps because there are doctors who really do care. Well, exactly. But my point is that if the biggest concern of these people that are looking out for the children is that they don't want that children to get high, 
if that's right. their thing, right? That's the right. only worry that they oh, have. Well, because then why, then, then why are we giving them Adderall? Then why are we giving them? Exactly. <laughs> well, that's exactly it. This, it's okay for them to have a lollipop? That lollipop right. is more lace than marijuana ever would be. Exactly. And and that's the thing is there, the, the the common sense is out the window. It's it's indoctrination. It's the reefer madness. It's generations of white paper uh, dogma that people have, have fallen for. And you know what? We need people like you, and we need people like this attorney that we were just speaking with, and we need people that that are grounded in facts and and in substance that are just willing to keep moving forward and saying, look, this is the truth, okay? And I, I think that the, the big monsters in the room of, you know, children on drugs, it, it's already, you know, it, the pharmaceutical drugs are the monster in the room. The, the cannabis is, even if it was one-to-one, even if it was, even if it was one to 25 and, and it was mostly THC, so what? Oh, What's some the worst kids are that way. Okay, some kids are that funny. way. Okay, some kids are that way, and they have to do that oil. And it is not because they have cancer. But we have what um, in our society now, and we have a big group of them that are shaken baby syndrome. And these people, because these children who are that, they are not audible. They don't even talk. Okay, and a lot of them talk in clicks, and they can't walk, and they can't do anything else. And so. When we give this this medicine, um, they're actually healing because we actually have one child who is to never walk. But you know what? Uh, got news for you. He walks. Okay? He is only walking right now. Right now he's only doing like five, seven steps, and he'll do it to me because that's the way they have me go, hey, show up here because he'll run to you. You know? And so, <laughs> yeah, he comes to me. You know, I'm very, very, very close to my children. And so he'll come to me, and so we're like, we got seven steps. Well, seven steps from somebody who would never, ever walk is a big deal because if you can get seven, you can get more. You can keep going. That number doesn't Oh, yeah, stop. yes, you can, because the reason he only has seven steps is because, think about this. When I met him, he was five and a half years old. He has been in a bed or in a wheelchair all his life, so he doesn't even have muscles developed. Right, so exactly. Start with a seven, we can keep going. And he is very intelligent, so don't tell me we like can't anything. do anything. A while you got to work out little little uh, right. physical and so, therapy, and you can keep going. But I happen to know he has through all these hospital things. Um, all these hospitals give these kids iPads, and so he sends me messages now. He has his own account. He goes and he videotapes himself, and he can. His mother is not helping him. Well, it's not his mother. It's a nurse who took him because shaking babies, the mother gives them up. Okay, and so they're taken on by somebody else who has a big heart. You know what I mean? Because they're not going to go too forward in life. But this kid goes and he responds and can type back to me because he goes to school. But he can type back to me and respond to my messages, even though he can't talk. Wow. He's never supposed to be able to do that, ever. Wow. Wow. Right. And, of course, you know, they're like, you know, simple messages back and not spelled well, but he can do it. Sheesh. Yeah, exactly. Okay? He can do it. 
So you you have a tremendous amount of energy, and yet I've seen um, posts that you've gone through some just amazing. You've gone through what transfusions, and I mean you've got all kinds okay, of physical I, um, ailments. I have had I have had seven stem cells. Okay, and that's seven complete where I am both the uh, donor and the recipient. Okay, I have lupus, which I'm having a major lupus attack for the last week and a half. All right, and those are very painful. But the reason I have the stem cells is because I had a problem where um, parasites ate my brain. And so it simulated Alzheimer's. And so I was losing my mind. Wow. Right, and so I did six stem cells, each one from a different medical facility. But on the last one, I got very, very lucky. And so um, I worked with these doctors, and they go, well, we'll have to take the stem cells out from here, and then over here at this other, we'll have the second set set of stem cells, and we're going to inject them into your brain. Wow. Right. Okay, and that's 60 species. Right. Okay, so I had this team and everything else, and I was one of seven people in the world that was allowed to participate in this study. And so the other six were MS, and I was classified Alzheimer's. So I went further on this, and I said, okay, look, I've done all my research. This is what I believe in. So let's do this cannabis and they said yes and it doesn't sound like you've got Alzheimer's today correct you know it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> right I'm just okay, believe here it was um, it's quite remarkable quite remarkable because I had this done on January 23rd before that I couldn't make a decision to do anything um, you have Go ahead. You had that done this year. Yes, January 23rd. Wow. Right, right. And the good thing about stem cells is they work for an entire year. And so my doctors, of course, were quite proud of how it worked because before this, if I was to have an anxiety and say, like, calling onto this radio show would cause me anxiety because I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? I don't know what I'm talking about. You asked for a bullet list. I'm better at speaking off the hip. That was right, I'm anxiety. Just and then I would <laughs> shut down. I would wow. totally shut down, and I would not know what to do. And you would actually you lose bowel functions and things of that nature. Oh, yeah, it's not very pretty what Alzheimer's patients no. go through. And that's why now I'm like an advocate. I want to teach you all how to do this. I want to teach you all. What my diet is, what it consists of, what I, I have to do smoothies every day. Oh, so what? They all feed my brain. And so as you're falling down um, with Alzheimer's or dementia, I do believe that cannabis helps. It helps a great deal. And then we have scientific fact to, to back that because that's how I got my doctors to do it. Don't, and only because they're my colleagues and they love me to smithereens. <laughs> well, I, I don't know how anybody couldn't. Well, let, let's talk about your, your event that you do, Can We Talk. I've heard about that for several years now. and um, you know, We're going to have a new one. We're going to have a right. new one, and we're going to have it up here. 
I bought the Red Barn in Douglas City, kind of a nowhere place, but the barn has been here for 100 years. It's very beautiful. It has really good spirit, and that's what I'm all about, okay, because if you go into some place and you feel uptight and anxiety, well, you're not going to get the healing out of it that you want anyway. So I'm building this place here, and um, I've got two stages, and um, it's going to be a coffee house, and we're going to sit here, and we're going to do the Can We Talks. And my Can We Talks has been featured Dennis Perone and John Altherwise, uh which we all know is the godfather of 215, all right? And he, he's adored my shows. Um, we've had Shahan Maku, who um, he spoke to the U.N., and he spoke to the U.N. about cannabis and all his research. And I was fortunate enough to bring him in on my own. Um, we've had so many guests. It's, it's, my goal is to teach everybody with doctors, as everybody else wants to do these trade shows, and they want to promote how do you do this and how do you make money and how do you do this. I want to promote. <laughs> these are doctors. Listen, this is how we do this. This is how we're going to fix you or this is how you're going to fix yourself. I, I I think you and I should have a conversation after the show or in the next couple of days. Um, I I got a lot of things I'd like to share with you on that level um, because I you and I are are cut from the same cloth. I've been fortunate enough not to have uh, well, thank you. That's, that's very very nice. Thank you. Well, I I you know I call them like I see them. Anybody who listens to my show knows I don't mince words, and I don't hound out compliments easily, and I, I, I call them like I see them. So, um, well, thank you. You know, that, that's important. Why don't you tell us about your uh, your Queen of Dragons? Um, you got well, a little... the Queen of Dragons, I'm no longer with them anymore, okay? Oh, and, okay. Um, okay. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm the former CEO of the Queen of Dragons, and I was the queen. And... Um, Let's just say it was a hostile takeover, and they don't think like that. Oh, I no. Do. Oh, right. All right, okay. well, we so don't have we're to just gonna, Yeah, anymore. exactly. Let's not dig up trash because what I'm it's doing about in your the future. Right, hard. okay, that's a good thing, okay? And so yeah, I can read it. Done. Yeah, okay, and so what I've done is I've taken this old barn, and it's really a old barn, 100 years old, and it is on a property in Trinity County where they found the first gold in Trinity County. So it's got some kind of, like, energy radiance going about it that's just awesome. And so what I have done now here is as you come in, I am doing a marijuana prohibition cannabis now museum. And what I'm trying to capture here is all the things that we've gone through to, through pro- prohibition, through um, Merle Haggard getting um, getting my medicine to try to make him well, through um, B.E. Smith, through all these people um, that I've come into with my life here because they were they were part of the prohibition of marijuana, but they kept trucking on. They were my inspiration, and I have all kinds of these neat pieces like as in. Nine years before Abraham Lincoln, there was a uh, drugstore here in Weaverville, which is a little town where I live. And I have the original cannabis, cannabis indica, cannabis sativa, cannabis indica jars that were used to dispense 
nine years before Abraham Lincoln, right here in Trinity County, where they grew the cannabis for the medicine in Trinity County. Wow. And that's a little slice of history. Right. Okay, because it was done here back, that's why I guess it's called the Emerald Triangle, because it's always been that way. This is when we actually got it out of medicinal jars from a drugstore, and you bought it without all and, these regulations. At that time, when all that was going on, there wasn't rampant crime, uh, zombie no, no, slaying. No, 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 no. Um, um, it was it was probably a more peaceful time than it is even today. Um, well, in actuality, what they were doing at the drugstore was filling your prescription. Right. And you were prescribed. Cannabis sativa, cannabis indica, or one of these two, well, I'm sure they had more. I've only got these as my pieces, but um, these elixirs, and I have the bottles. And you were given this elixir that came from here, that was made from here. And that is nine years before Abraham Lincoln. Wow, that's unbelievable. Right, right. So, what... When when is this uh, Red Barn? When is this uh, scheduled to launch? When is it when is it going to be alive and kicking? Well, we're um, we're working on it this moment. We're hoping for um, the um, first week of December. And so our our projection is first we're going to do this and we're going to do the coffee house and then hopefully our local supervisors get done with their retail sales of adult and medicinal cannabis and we can open on the other side so that we can educate you on this side of the barn that has the museum and then when you go there to make your purchase on the other side for actual cannabis because the new laws want you to get in and get out that's how it goes okay they want yeah, you, to- you don't want to be hanging out around all that pot for too long right yeah, I guess, okay, um, but then not only that, but I don't like the part of where they want this total face recognition of everybody there. And so on my classes, we don't need everybody to know who you are. I, I'm all good with that. So then we have this Listen, part where you learn about what you need. Rampant, and for a long time, the, this this new law isn't going to stop the black market. It's going to feed it for a good long while. And even though there's going to be some you know, decent folks like you that are going to be, you know, doing things that, that have the community in mind. The truth is most of the rec stores are, are just, just that. They're just stores. They're, they're, they're profit uh, well, endeavors. Well, I the phrase, but they're greedy mofos. Yeah, exactly. Hey, this is a podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can, going to have to go there. Okay. Because how I believe, this is what I believe. And, they're kind of supporting it in the new regulations, although they say, well, if you want to be a nonprofit, we'll take a look and see. But I think that what, I, what I'm going to do is the ones that can pay, and, and they, buy, they can buy their mess, can pay for the ones that can't. Okay, because that's how go. this thing was built. This is how. This, I know Dennis Perrone very well. Okay, sure. and that's what he believed in, and that's. He's like my mentor, and as were others that were in this business. The ones that can pay take care of it for the ones who can't. And in these new uprisings, nobody wants to take care of anybody. 
Except for the milk. <laughs> and their, and oh, the they do. They want to take care of bank, what? And, uh-huh, and the new, new yacht and the new house. Okay, no. That's not how this was designed. Okay, this is what it was built on. I see many train wrecks coming with a new re- regulation, but I'm going to hold my ground because I still believe that in all of this, the people who do right, I don't believe commercial cannabis is going to heal as well as small farmer cannabis only because you're watching your garden with a with a computer Whereas we got some small farmer who's out there kissing his plant. Well, I believe spirit <laughs> is infused, okay? And that's what made cannabis a healing medicine. It made it a healing medicine because we are so OCD, ACD, everything about our plants that we infused it, just as in the um, scientists that were from Japan that believed that we could pray over water and we could change its molecular structure. I think we've done that with cannabis. I think we will lose it on the commercial level. I couldn't agree with you more. Well, listen, Tammy, um, I'm running a little low on time and i got a lot ground still to cover. But I, I definitely would love to have you come back on in the near future, and I'd like to talk to you privately outside of this uh, show about a few things. You are welcome but, to come to the Red Barn Healing Angels Cafe anytime you like. I would like to do that. Um, I, I did want to add, throw a couple of other things. I met you, I think it was Tom Corby that originally um, had introduced me to you, you yes, even secondhand. And um, you've been very supportive of the human solution and the, the work that we do up there. Um, what's what's your thoughts about the you know the efforts that the Human Solution does up there? Um, I think we could use them a little more up here in Trinity because now I'm up here in Trinity as opposed to Shasta. You know, I think it's a really good thing. I think we're going to need it more now than ever, especially with um, with parents wanting to give their kids cannabis and doctors refusing to write. I think. Um, that will throw that whole part on the ground, and I think the Human Solutions is going to need that help with that. And you have a Human Solutions Children's Chapter, so I think you guys are going to be very busy. Well, maybe um, when we talk afterward, we can talk about maybe setting up a Trinity County Chapter um, that get, has a, a home at your at your place. I mean, there's a lot of that options. Fabulous. I love it. I love it. And that'll give me a good reason to come on up there and visit you in person. There you go. That sounds fabulous. <laughs> all right, Tammy. Well, how would somebody get a hold of you if they want to learn more about uh, about all the things you have going on? Okay. Well, they can reach me at the Red Barn Healing Angels Cafe. I'm also um, Dr. Tammy on um, Facebook. I'm also the Red Barn Cafe, uh, Red Barn Healing Angels Cafe on Facebook, and I'm also Can We Talk. I'm not too hard to find. Type in Tammy Brazil and you'll find me everywhere. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Well, Tammy, it's just been a delight to have you on the show. You're always a delight to be around, and um, I, I look forward to spending some more time with you in the near future. Hey, and, and have a happy, happy Thanksgiving, and angels on your elbows, dude. More power to you. Oh, you bet. Right back to you. All right, folks, Dr. Tammy Brazil, what an amazing story from an amazing individual, and um, I can see the future of a Trinity County chapter um, happening. Uh, There's just so few people that are committed to making the change that we need to make, and 
that's a big part of what I'm doing out here is I'm I'm looking for those allies. I'm looking for those those people that you know that have what I have as a vision to end prohibition, to make this medicine available to anybody who needs it, to educate people about their rights, about the 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 things they can do for themselves through diet and and changing practices and 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 you know learning about this plant and the things you can do with it and learning to stand and fight when the when when the oppressors come along and 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 begin to oppress there's all of these things we can help each other with and it it doesn't take from us trust me Tammy gets it you can listen to the tone of her voice when she talks about the people she's helped. The gift happens when you give, and you get back a thousand times what you give. There's no question Tammy is a big giver. I can tell from the joy that she has in her voice. All right, we have a little less than 30 minutes on this show. Um, every time I turn around, the show is beginning, and then I turn around again, and the show is ending. Um, Craig Cecil did not call in. Um, please keep him in your thoughts and prayers. I'm going to Send him a message on Coralinks. Hopefully he's okay. Um, our other defendant didn't call either, um, and I was hoping to speak with him as well. I am looking for an app or a way to record a call that would come in on my little phone here, and I need to be able to push a button and begin recording. Um, even if I've got to pay for this app, whatever it is, I just need a way to do that. So far, I've come up empty. Um, the the uh, research I've done told me Google Voice was supposed to do it, but I haven't been able to figure it out. And um, there's all these voice VOIP systems that you have to call another number. This is a call coming in from jail. I just need to be able to start recording. Um, this guy is really a perfect storm defendant. We have so many defendants that come and they just, you know, they don't know what to do. They're not willing to stand up and fight. They're not willing to get behind the group that's helping them. They're not willing. They're just afraid, tired, think they, they got another idea, whatever it is. This guy is willing to stand tall. He's looking for the support that we can offer him. He wants to get his message out there. He wants to you know, use our tools to organize the grassroots support. And I need to be able to capture his direction. Um, so please get a hold of me if you can and let me know how to do that. Um, it's just one of those things. All right. This is an important announcement. Uh, the UCCA has been working for a couple of weeks now. There is an amendment, a law called the Rohrbacher Farr Amendment, and typically we're not an organization, the human solution, that endorses legislation or elected officials or anything like that. But we're allowed to educate people, and we're allowed to educate people on how to take action without any problem. And we're not dedicating any significant amount of resources to this because we don't have any resources. So it's real easy. Um, this amendment is something like 83 words, and it gives the state's rights to supersede the Controlled Substances Act. It literally gives us, it, it, it causes the federal government to bow to the states. If we've passed this thing, it's been stymied every time it's come through, we have an opportunity to influence 
it right now. For the past two weeks, we drafted a letter as the UCCA, a coalition of the willing of individuals, groups, um, organizations, uh, businesses, nonprofits that are standing together, uh, united by a common goal of supporting human rights, patients' rights, doctors' rights, uh, veterans' rights, disabled rights, rights in general, human civil liberties. That's what this is about. We wrote a letter, and this letter has been, we've, for the last two weeks, we've been gathering endorsements. We have about 600 endorsements. I am both very proud and very heartbroken by that. I have over 4,000 members on the Human Solution page, the, the main page. There are over 5,000 members on the UCCA group. Um, I know hundreds and hundreds of people that have participated in the industry, the movement, um, been disabled folks, defendants, attorneys, business owners of all sorts. There should be thousands of people on this. But we have hundreds. We're ready to get going. So the next day, phase of this, um, we're going to put out a press release, hopefully tomorrow, um, that's going to talk about this. But I have a little direction that I want to give. And if you go to the Human Solution website, that is T-H-S-I-N-T-L dot org, there's a button right in the middle of the top of the page that says UCCA. The Rohrbacher Farr Amendment Endorse Letter Ready to Mail. This is a simple, simple project. Okay? Our attempt to get endorsements was one of the most frustrating things I've ever done. We put a press release out that gave simple direction. We posted it. We talked about it. We had, um, I don't know, hundreds of, of shares. I put videos out. Dozens of people helped to distribute this. And I have never seen more people be more confused. I received more input saying, I can't figure this out. I don't know what to do. How come my name's not on it? I even got somebody who thought I was publicly shaming them when I put up the list and said, what the hell? You know, are you in or out? If you're not going to sign this, why? Tell me. Never once, one person did come and tell me why they weren't going to sign it. And I invited them to come on the radio show to discuss it. No, nope, still nobody. I've been inviting people to come and challenge, um, you know, bring up your little beefs, your problems. Nobody's ever taken me up on it, not live. On Facebook, everybody's a warrior. In person, well, maybe not so much. Anyways, that all being said, I'm on this page right now. I'm looking at it. I'm going to read it to you. This is the simplest thing in the world, okay? Here it is. I'm going to read it to you. The UCCA, Rohrbacher Farr Amendment, endorsed ready to mail what you can do. The UCCA has drafted a letter stating the need for this amendment to be allowed to the floor for a vote. We asked for any individuals, organizations, and groups to endorse this letter and received almost 600 responses. The next step, the next step is to find your representative and either print this letter, and there's a link below on how to find them. We're going to get to that. Or write your own letter 
and attach it to this and mail it or email it to your representative. You don't have to be a cannabis activist. You don't have to be a nonprofit. You don't have to be anything but a human being. If you're a human being and you live in America, you have a couple of representatives, all right? You need to reach out to them. It's really, really simple. Click this button. You've got the letter. It's a link. You click it. I'm clicking it right now. It opens it up. Here it is. There's this link. I'll read it to you real simple. This is what it says. The UCCA is a coalition of like-minded organizations and individuals, including but not limited to professionals, law-abiding voters, and cannabis patients with the common goal of defending civil rights. A few of the groups we focus on are veterans, cannabis patients, caregivers, and doctors. We, the coalition, endorse the Rohrbacher Farr Amendment and urge Congress to allow this move to forward to committee and ultimately to the floor for a vote. This amendment is of concern to us because of the broad impact it will have on the 29 states and D.C. that have current medical cannabis laws, marijuana cannabis. We agreed to put those two words together. And the more than dozen states with bills pending for the 2018 legislation, not including the pending legislation of over 190 million Americans, 59.3% are affected by the outcome of this amendment. This amendment maintains the state's liability to address the state's ability to address the needs of its constituents. Voters in half the country have clearly voiced approval for medical marijuana cannabis by passing legislation legalizing its use. We urge you to support a state's right to legislate, regulate, and prosecute as they deem appropriate. Thanks in advance for your consideration. Below that is all of the endorsements. Okay, so you can either attach that, print it, mail it, whatever it takes to get it to your defendant or your uh, elected representative. If you don't know who your representative is, there's a link right here. Find your representative by clicking this link and scrolling to the lower portion of the page and look under House and find a representative. There's a link to Congress.gov. Okay? There's the text of the amendment. It's 85 words right here. That's it. Okay, this is the next phase of this. Please get this to your elected representatives and share it with us. Tell us how you're doing it. Tell you tell us what's happening. If people see motion, they will move. Action begets action. Okay? I can't be more adamant. I have cut my personal friends page from 4,800 down to 450. When this project is over, I imagine, unfortunately, it's going to cut down to probably about 200. And every single person on that is going to be somebody that's helped. It's that important to me. And I don't care about Facebook. It's not about any of that. It's just the reality of this. If we stand together and actually do something instead of spewing and fighting and arguing and doing everything else that we do, we can end prohibition and go on our separate ways and do whatever we want. Isn't that what it's all about? Just doing what we want. Okay, that's the UCCA project. Amazon Smile. All right, we're coming up on the holiday season, a time when people like to spend a lot of money and buy stuff. 
people increasingly go to Amazon. There is a smile.amazon.com that is Amazon. It allows you to select a nonprofit of your choice and buy whatever you are ordinarily going to buy, pay the same amount you are already going to pay, and Amazon will donate a couple of pennies to the charity of your choice. Turns out, as the Human Solution is a 501c3, we qualify to be listed into Amazon Smile, and currently we are. So if you go to Amazon Smile, again, it doesn't cost you anything. You just click a different button instead of Amazon. It directs you to Amazon Smile, which is exactly the same thing. It's just their little charity division. Sign us up. Choose us. We're there. Human Solution International, and you can help. If we had a budget to work with, our messaging would be so much easier. We have membership that brings in enough to cover our website and a little more. It allows us to print some brochures, uh, allows us to give away some T-shirts and uh, you know a bracelet now and again. Not much more. If we had a couple of bucks, we could really get out there and get some messaging done. I look forward to the day when we could get our message out there loud and proud and clear and see what can happen. See what can happen when the right people doing the right things. All right. I got a lot of other things I really wanted to talk about today, but I don't seem to have enough time. We have a number of defendants that have stepped forward and are engaging us on some level or another. We also have a number of defendants that I wish would but for whatever reason, they're doing their own thing. I can't uh, can't force ourselves on you. Um, but I see some poor choices being made and the direction and the energy that is being spent in ways that are sometimes counterproductive. But I'm not here to judge. I just wish people would uh, uh, walk and work with people who have been here and done this before as many times as we have. All right, you can lead them to water, but you cannot make them drink. Okay, we got one more guest here, Tom Corby with the NorCal Report. We're going to have just enough time, and here we go. Tom Corby, you are live on the air with the NorCal Report. How are you doing today? Oh, thank you, Joe, and always Coffee Party Radio Show, and all the good folks talking today. Uh, it was so good to hear Dr. Tammy Brazil, uh, what's it been, uh, over four years. I think that we met Tammy at one of her Canada Talks, which uh, is an awesome event. Uh, the reason I'm not going up to Shasta anymore, again, what I point out in Butte County in Northern California, we don't have many cases left. We're not even going on to trial. We're getting another dismissal, one right after the other. Uh, it's even blowing me away. And, yes, uh, like uh, our PD Catherine says, and thank her for coming on from Georgia. Uh, we have a lot of public defenders now up here uh, that we've redirected and are on our team and are common and our mindset is we do not plea bargain. As Joe's always said, we always take them on to trial. We always come with a 995 dismiss, probable cause, 
motion. So, again, I have another friend, Roel Cruz, that I go back 15 years with, part of my collective. Uh, I shared on radio show last week how he was in, up in Grass Valley, which is Nevada City, uh, with a friend. They had 12 plans, and thankfully they were scripted with their doctors. Uh, pulled them over, said, uh, when we talk about probable cause, so important. Sheriff pulled him over and said, your taillights blink flicking off and on. What a flimsy probable cause. We always remind you, don't forget the signal. Don't give them any reason to pull you over because believe me, they're looking for a reason. Uh, so, <clears throat> thank you. Well, thank you. Also, the Human Solution National uh, for the support and moreover the application, just a little direction. Thankfully, he got a good attorney up there. Our friend Jan uh, already had another case uh, we had here a couple years ago that she had dismissed. Uh, she went on to hearings, two hearings. Well, we didn't even have to go up there. To, we didn't even have to go. She already had his case dismissed. I uh, want to thank Jen up there in Nevada City. Roel, so thankful. Uh, so we always point out uh, that uh, there is no victim and there is no crime. Uh, and we, uh, how important court support is, as Catherine says, uh, it's not only because uh, you're supporting that defendant. Uh, it's also because you're also... Uh, uh, keeping an eye on them and you're bearing witness to the injustice inside these courtrooms. And of course, a lot of them don't like what our ribbon of solidarity represents. Uh, But again, that's our First Amendment right and they can't take that away from us. And a lot of them are now joining us. So we always say stand your ground, take them on, Another reason, again, I'm not going up Shasta County more is because James Benno and his boys kept taking them on with Joseph Tully. He, the last I heard, even the DA says now, well, there is no victim, there's no crime. This case is just kind of going away, too. So it's kind of nice to have a relief from the series, six years I've been with the Human Solutions, Joe, to have a relief not spending all my time in the courtrooms because so many folks came helping to be the solution to finally end prohibition and and this failed war on our on our sacred plant cannabis plant on a calendar that I've I'm, I've uh, been really busy because I am harvesting and I'm I'm thankful for that what I do what I can harvest and we will stand our ground and we had uh, believe me actually up here in Butte County this year. Uh, we actually had very little pressure from code enforcement because they know, well, they know that we've backed them down up here, especially in Butte County, uh, due to the fact that actually uh, I've been up here in, in, in Northern California and, and uh, uh, part of, uh, well, uh, the Butte County uh, uh, Inland Farmers uh 
associate cannabis association up here for about 12 years and we've been fighting uh measure a and uh taking our our growing rights away and from there uh made a lot of connections already someone joe connected with me uh he made a, a huge connection which we if we can make these connections and you know a lot of people that are they'll come and stand your ground it means so much to have these point people to work with uh, so uh, the only thing uh, I, I'm going to get it to the counter uh, again, Eric Pierce. The only case I really have left up here uh, is up for a misdemeanor psilocybin mushroom possession. Uh, once again, <laughs> what what do they do at the end when you keep taking them on? Uh, what you do is you throw everything at them. You subpoena them. You throw every every motion you can. You make them work. They're not used to working. And uh, you always bring your injunctions and lawsuits, and that's what they have ears to hear. So Eric Pierce comes up for his fourth TRC. That's trial readiness conference. What's that say? It doesn't say a lot. Uh, It could be PDC. It could be uh, readiness trial. It doesn't matter. What it is is it's just that uh, it's just that either you're building your case or they're building their case, and it just keeps going on. And, and the mindset generally is, and uh, as long as you keep this going on, even if you waive your rights to waive time on a 45-day time waiver, which you can you want to do, uh, your case is still going to go on. Uh, and at some point, uh, you'll get them on the offense. Uh, you could be on the offense, and you'll have the DA on the defense. He'll he'll be needing more time, and they'll start throwing whatever the, ever they can at you, try to get you to make some kind of deal. So here it is, Eric Pierce, charged with the usual four cultivation possession for sales and misdemeanor mushrooms. Well, now they found out, and they had already dropped the mushroom charge, right? Well, now they find out all these charges now. The good side of AMA are now misdemeanors. One of the reasons we are getting our dismissals on that side. Uh, and so now what do they do? They recharge them on the misdemeanor charge. Uh, so his, his PD marshal is almost the most incompetent uh, public defender I've ever dealt with. Uh, uh, I've shared that. And uh, even the judge, two judges, uh, wouldn't let uh, wouldn't let him be recused. Eric tried to recuse him; he wouldn't recuse himself. And even admitted he couldn't he couldn't defend him in trial. So anyway, we're going on next week. Uh, uh, that's uh, 1:30 p.m. right here at Number One Court Street, November 29th, uh, for another trial readiness conference. And we just hope when we go in that our mindset always is this is the day it's going to be dismissed. As Joe will tell you in his case, when we were coming down there for, for jury trial, what's so important when you go into trial, court support, we were getting ready to come down there. Joe came out and said, went in for a hearing, thought he might be going back to jail, went in there and he just dismissed his case. So always stand your ground, be positive, and help be the solution to end prohibition. And don't forget to breathe. Thank you all today.
All right. Well, thank you very much, Tom, and I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And remember, folks, um, everybody that's out here is not in there. It's something to be thankful for. I've uh, spent a Thanksgiving behind bars, and uh, it's it's not a lot of joy in there. Um, let's remember that. Remember, we have a lot of people that are still serving sentences, people that are still fighting their cases. Um, we got people in every legal state fighting cases. Um, even though we've got some places that are backing down, I get calls just about every day from defendants. Again, most of them don't stand up and fight, but I know they're there because they call when they get busted, and you know they think that we're a free legal, you know, a free attorney service, or we got a bunch of money to give them or something. Um, when they find out it's a lot of work to fight, most of them go away. That's why the plea deals are taken. It's not for the weak. It's not for the weary. It's not for the faint of heart. It is for the warriors. It is for those of us, the few, the proud, those that are willing to make the sacrifice to end this once and for all. We stand together united, and we will end prohibition. I want to thank you all for being here, and we will see you next week. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse the human solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. You were always on my mind. You were always on my mind. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.